Hey, podcast listeners, Al Martin back again with Making Data Simple. This is part two with Lynn Sneed, who's the founder of Talent Evolution Systems. You know, she's a speaker, a, a great coach. You got to make sure you listen to, to part one because it's a precursor to this one. Wanted to remind you, I hope everything's well. Hope everybody's healthy. See you on the next podcast. Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome, podcasters, to Making Data Simple. As always, we're thankful to have you here. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to take a bit of a break from the overtech, although we do all kinds of crazy stuff from time to time. But we're going to talk about leadership, about coaching, and being your best self, and mixing that in with data. And nobody knows that better than the guest that I have today, which is Lynn Sneed. She is the founder of Talent Evolution Systems. Uh, she is a behavioral analyst, consultant, training specialist, speaker, a coach. She has a background in educational psychology and has specialized in organizational performance for over 20 years. The other thing about Lynn is she's one of the original Franklin Covey co-authors, has a bestseller out there. She created Franklin Covey's signature project development process and programs. She worked directly with Stephen Covey and, and, and went through the merger of Franklin Covey. So, Lynn, this is a special one for me. Thank you for being here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Oh, this is my pleasure, Al. I've been looking forward to this, and it's a treat. Thank you for the opportunity. Let's talk about data and leadership and behavior analytics. You know, I, I've seen on your website, there's a lot of data out there, like 80% of turnover is due to poor hiring. Uh, the cost of a single bad hire can cost five times the salary and benefits of the position. Less than 30% of the workforce is engaged in their work. The number one reason, which, you know, I key on a lot, and, and we talk about this on my team, the number one reason an employee leaves a job is a bad boss. We could go on. There's lots of data out there. But I know you to be a person that believes in the data. Can data really define the behavior or observable behavior of someone that can, once, you know, if you assess that data, you can implement corrective action or changes to better your position or whatever? Do you believe that? The right data can, absolutely. There's a lot of Pardon me, but there's a lot of crap assessments out there. Good data that's been highly validated is an extremely accurate look at factors that can be accurately measured. And self-knowledge is something that few people have really embraced I love it. When I first start working with someone, one of the things that I'll often have a chance to ask them to do before I you know, share their data, their assessment results, is I'll say, do me a favor and just take you know, two minutes and write down, see if you can write down for me your top 10 strength. And the first thing that happens is they look at me like, huh, 10? Are you kidding me? I might be able to give you three or four, but not 10. And you know, I'll have them write them down and honestly, three, four, maybe five things. And they, and they'll tell me sometimes, I kind of know what it is, but I don't know what to call it. I don't know how you'd label it. And I hand them their assessment and start to take them through. Now, these are very complex assessments. The one that you experienced was what, 65 pages or something of data. 
and content, you know, this is <laughs> this is not the easy route. It will literally show you strengths that you didn't know you had. And it'll help you understand why, because a strength is you know, something that you're good at. It just means that you're better than most people at that. Now, some people, it can, this can go either way. Some people think they're really good at everything. You know, those folks are slightly annoying to work with, but we encounter it uh, occasionally. And then there's other people that think, well, if I can do that, anybody can do that. And both of those are wrong. Yeah. Because not everybody can do that. And by definition, a strength means you're good at something that not everybody else is good at. Knowing what those things are is really important. We break it into categories. So behaviors, you mentioned those, you know, the, the observable things, the way people communicate, the way they perform their tasks, their pace, their style of communicating, how they take data into consideration or don't. <laughs> These are observable behaviors that we can learn to recognize in people. Once we learn that language, it's fascinating because when we know where we are on the, the data continuum, so to speak, and we can recognize where other people are, it's fascinating to realize that that's either why we get along well with certain people or it's why we have a challenging time getting along with certain people. It's because they're on the opposite side of the data continuum from us. Well, it just means they're different. They have different strengths than we do. It's not a better than or worse than. There's no good or bad to it. It's just different. Then we also look at the motivating factors, which I often refer to as the values. Different things drive us. Uh, different, different things motivate us. And this takes a little more concentration to discern. But if you're in a meeting and you're listening to people's agenda, you're starting to hear differences. Different things are important to different people. And that speaks to their motivators and their values. And it, too, will account for people who get along well with each other or people who are button heads. And I can see it on paper. I've had fascinating experiences with teams that weren't getting along where I could look at the assessment results and tell, explain to a team leader, here's why you're having trouble. You've got three high commanding people on this team, so you've got a power struggle right there. You've got two high in the knowledge category, so they're probably fighting for more data instead of actually getting anything done. And I can go through a list of things like this. I had a CEO once look at me and say to me, who's giving you inside information about this team? So the data is that telling. And then the third it's category that, that we break down is actually the skill level. So you might have the right behavior match and the right motivator match, but where's the skill level to back it up? Almost all of this is gathered through self-questionnaires. Yes. Somebody, Online assessment, yes. How do you know somebody isn't answering those as if the questions are aspirational, in other words, who they want to be versus who they are? That is a really good question because that's the question that differentiates a a valid assessment versus a not so valid assessment. The way these are built, every one of these that have been combined under one umbrella, it's all packaged in one assessment, but it's really multiple assessments combined in one. They've all had in excess of 30 years of development and validation and continuous improvement 
and we literally can see a validation score at the end of the assessment that red flags us quietly for us to know that somebody was trying to kind of jury rig their answers. So it, there's so many questions here that if you try to kind of fake one, that question is going to come up 10 different ways in 10 different places. Mm -hmm. And somewhere you're going to conflict with yourself to trip the trigger that says, Hey, we see some, you know, the computer basically says we see inconsistencies here that alert us that somebody might have tried to fudge it. When I'm working with somebody before they ever take the assessment, the first thing I tell them is if you'll take this honestly and answer with just the best quick answer that you feel is the most true for you, you're going to get the best, most usable results and data that we can use together to help you see your strengths and where you can improve and how you can improve. And if you fudge your answers, anything that I might do to help you is irrelevant because it's not accurate. So there's no motivation whatsoever to try and fudge this. If it's because we're using it for hiring as opposed to coaching, I warn people ahead of time, you know, getting yourself into a role where you don't fit is not a favor to you or this organization. And if you'll mm. take this accurately, it will do you a service to make sure that you're in the role that you love. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't anybody want that? Is there one of these tests that you want to talk about that you really believe in, or would you rather go into the, some of the attributes of the test or the behaviors of those tests that you think make up uh, the best assessment? Yeah. And, and there's, it's the combination that gives us a cross section, the ability to look at somebody uh, and first of all, the first thing I say to people is we don't refer to these as a test because you cannot flunk it. So <laughs> it, it, I really go for calling it an assessment because there is no right or wrong. You know, we have different behavioral, there's style assessments. And I am a, a big fan. A lot of people are familiar with DISC. DISC has been around for a long time. Goodness, there's many different distributors of DISCs. They're not all equal. The one that I use is the most highly validated one in existence. But that's just a single little slice. We need more than that. That's a behavioral assessment. We need more. We need to see the motivators, and then we need to see the skill sets. So we use something that's referred to as trimetrics because there's three assessments at least. Matter of fact, I think the one that you took had four in it. So there's at least three that are combined, and that's behaviors, motivators, and skills. And if we can look at those three together, then we can really see the fit and the opportunities to utilize the strengths. People really love that. They love tapping into things that they just didn't realize would be recognized as strengths. They sold themselves short on how important it was. But they also like something that points out to them the areas where they need a little help, you know, especially those that have felt stalled in their career growth. And they know that something's holding them back, but they don't always know clearly what it is. And we can see that in here. Yeah, look, I will attest them, and I've taken some of the tests that you're talking about. And um, you, you mean uh, the assessments? The, yeah, <laughs> the assessments. <laughs> I was, that was the testament I was going to give to you in that, like on DISC, I think the four factors are dominance, influence, steadiness, 
in compliance. Is that right? Yes, that's uh, right. But you look at those four, it's, it's amazing that those four will do it. When you look at your results, it's not like there's a right or wrong answer. You don't look at dominance and say, oh, I'm, I'm at the perfect level. In fact, my reaction is, well, I kind of wish I was at, you know, now I see that, that other level. I, I'm high here, but maybe I shouldn't be. But, you know, it is what it is. You are who you are. And uh, the interesting right. thing for me is, as you know, I took this with my wife, which was interesting. That was very interesting to me. And, and I'd love to hear you talk a little about that experience. <laughs> well, the thing is, it was, you know, we've been with each other a while, so we know one another. But it is interesting when you take the test, you know, you get somebody that's that close to you, they can look at you and say, yep, that's you. And <laughs> and I said the same thing to my my wife. And, and it talks, the, the cool thing about the, the test, it talks to, you know, how you should communicate with one another how you should value organization or whatever, you know, what my wife's value is, what Karen's value, my value, et cetera. That's what I meant by that. Uh, but the interesting thing is, I mean, it pretty much, I have to say, hit it on the head. Like for her, you know, I got to be sincere in tone of voice. If the tone of voice goes up, I've learned this over the years, she's going to check out and the, the, the discussion's <laughs> over. I can tell you that. And the other, the other funny thing is, you know, on myself, it's sporadic listening skills. In other words, I think that the quote was something like, don't assume he heard you. <laughs> so the funny thing about that is, I mean, I'm just giving you funny things. This is much deeper than this for the listeners here. But the funny thing about that is now when we're doing something or, and I may miss something, she'll go, yeah, that's right. Don't assume you're listening. <laughs> we made kind of a joke of it. But, you know, it kind of does help because – when you go through those, I'm being funny about this, but if you go through some of the attributes and the behaviors, you realize that it's not, how do I want to say this? Something that she's doing or I'm doing many times is not about me. I mean, what she's doing is not right. about me. Right. It's a style it's, issue. Yes. And you realize, you know, that's just her. And I think right. actually the listening, while I joke, she looks at it and she says, you know, that's just you. I get no doesn't don't don't get me wrong doesn't mean that she accepts that all the time, but she does get that you know that's it's not about her and and a lot of the right. other things is not about me it's about okay how are we going to better communicate with one another I thought that was good because it look you know obviously you want to apply this to the business world but hitting something literally closer to home makes it uh, valuable and you realize what these assessments do and and that they are true to form. I'm really smiling at that, Al, because you, you just, you hit it perfectly. Look, an assessment helps us get to know ourselves a bit better. And that's something that we often need a little help with. But to that, sometimes I say, yeah, so what and who cares? <laughs> that's, I, I had one participant at the end of a seminar I did years ago, and I overheard her speaking to a friend walking out of the room during the first break. And she said, that is just more about myself than I ever wanted to know. So, <laughs> and I had to laugh, but I also had to kind of realize this is deeper for some people than they're used to and deeper sometimes than they want to go. Although there's nothing really scary in here, but you just, you, you nailed it because when we understand that there are styles and, you know, in DISC, look, we're all endlessly unique. And that's something I want to emphasize. This is not attempting to put us in little boxes with little labels and make it all neatly packaged and convenient. 
it's our uniqueness that matters. However, there are styles and this goes back, literally the study of these four different behavioral styles goes back over a thousand years. It has withstood the test of time and testing over and over again, that there are four primary areas. And I like to think of each one as a thermometer that goes from zero to a hundred. We've got these four different areas and we might range anywhere from zero to a hundred on all four of them. But when we see what those patterns are, we start to understand the differences between our style and someone else's style. And when I, I say, and this comes up in my coaching a lot, I'll say, yeah, it's a style thing. Meaning if you're a high D, that high driver personality, that high drive, very ambitious, pioneering, strong-willed, determined, outspoken, and you're speaking to someone who's a high S, which is the steadiness factor, and they are very passive, relaxed, they avoid confrontation. Well, holy smokes, you've already got a, a relationship, a communication conflict between the two styles that unless you know what's happening and how to counterbalance it, you can be off track from the get-go. But if I'm that high S and I'm meeting somebody that I clearly instantly realize is a high D, suddenly I don't look at them and think, oh, what a jerk. I look at them and I think, oh, okay, high D, brace yourself. Here's how they communicate. I get it. It's not about me. It's not about them. I can handle it. You know, we're cool. And boom, that changes everything. And it changes everything. You, you experienced it with Karen, which was wonderful. But imagine that same experience with every person on your team at work. Imagine that you have their, not only their assessment results, but you have that combined report that you experienced with Karen where you see the two right next to each other. And I conduct what we call triad meetings with three people, as I did with you and Karen, to take people through that. And they look at each other and go, oh, wow, look at that. Isn't that cool? That's why... You know, we have this little challenge here, and here's why we get along well over here. And oh, cool. And suddenly they see it as a style issue and not as something to take personally or to direct personally. We see employee engagement scores shoot up immediately after doing triad meetings in organizations. Fantastic. And I told you I've done this with couples quite often because when I do this with somebody, one of the first things they'll say is, can I do this with my spouse, my partner? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm not a marriage coach. However, I have a lot of experience at this. As I told you, I said, I can tell you that two of the people that I've done this with out of the dozens of couples I've done this with, it did end up in divorce. <laughs> but I, I shouldn't wow. laugh at that. But they told me they knew it was heading that way to begin with. And when they saw their differences, especially in the values section, this, we're talking behaviors here. The values section is a little different. When they saw their differences, they realized it was something they didn't have to take personally, and the differences were not going to change. And they were going to be better off if they did what, what they thought was coming anyway, but it was handled in a very constructive and friendly way. And they... You know, the two couples that this happened to, they both thanked me for that. 
Fantastic. All right, that's good. Good information. I see. I hear your dog. That's great. My dog is probably snoring. This is the world of COVID we live in. <laughs> that, is, that is the world of we work at home and there's somebody outside the door right now and there's nobody I have to pay attention to, but the dog sure do let me know that somebody's hanging around. You know, that's the greatest thing about this COVID. We're all normal again. I think it's, I think great. Hey, uh, if the listeners are thinking of getting a coach, what do you suggest? What's your advice? Oh, gosh. Coaching is a relationship and it works for two. It, well, it works for a few reasons. If it works, it works for a few reasons. It works, first of all, because somebody has the training in being a coach. Now, that there's many different kinds of training out there. But there is some kind of training is important. Second of all, I would look for a coach that specializes in assessments because as far as I'm concerned, coaching without data should be considered malpractice. And that's a pretty bold over the top statement, but if well, you you're don't on the have the data simple show, so we like that. So keep going. Yeah, how do you know where to coach somebody if you don't have good data? And third of all, but probably most important, coaching is a relationship. And if you connect with that person and the relationship is good, assuming they've got some good coaching skills, it's a powerful relationship that just an immeasurable amount of good can come from. If it's an awkward relationship, if there's not a, a mesh between the two people, it, you might have one of the best coaches in the world, but it's not going to be a good fit for you. So mm-hmm. back, you know, check your, your coach's background, find out that they use and just check that the assessments that they do use are highly validated assessments. And then, you know, in your first session or two, you, you'll know if there's a click, you'll know from the data if you see something that's going to help you, or you'll know that the relationship isn't the right fit for you. And then please go try and find another one where there is a good fit. Having a coach that is a good fit for you will change your life, will change your career in a way that will last you your lifetime. And, you know, look at your career in terms of how many years have you got left, but also realize this isn't just career coaching. This is life coaching. And, and it goes beyond, I use this stuff in my personal life every day. You know, I'm not in a traditional corporate setting like I was for 20 years anymore, but I don't communicate with anybody without having a pretty quick knowledge about what their style is, what their values are, and how I can communicate better with them than I would have been able to without this knowledge. There's some things there that help. No, that's a good, that's good. Now, let me ask you this. If there's folks out there that would like to find you or at least reach out to you, do you have a a spot that, uh, whether it's LinkedIn or otherwise, you would uh, refer them to? Uh, you can look, you know, you can find out a little bit beyond LinkedIn. Um, I would recommend check out my website at www.talentevolutionsystems.com. Evolution is singular. Systems is plural. That that hangs people up a little bit because you can learn a lot about me there. And if that looks interesting at all, then shoot me an email. Is it okay if I provide my email? Yeah, hit it. We'll also put it in the show notes, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just L Sneed at talentevolutionsystems.com. Great. 
All right, we're going to end with, we've only got a couple minutes here, Lynn. You've been fantastic, but we've got to end with a little game. We always try to end with I something I love funny. your game, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this I've, is heard, a, I've heard your, some of your podcasts. I love the game. I've been looking forward to this. What do we got? All right. This is a would you rather. you got to pick one or the other. you got to fall on one side of the fence. You can't straddle the fence, right? Hey. That it hurt. All right. I know you to be in Florida now. You, you've been in Utah. So coast or mountains? Oh, oh, that hurts, Al. When you say I'm on yep. the fence. You can't I, be on the fence. I, I lived in Colorado and Utah for a good portion of my life. I miss the mountains terribly. But I'm, you know, I used to snowshoe and cross-country ski and downhill ski and I was always camping and in some kind of a little camp vehicle in the mountains. And those are such precious memories. I am not that young anymore. And at this point in my life, the warmth in Florida is where I want to be. <laughs> that makes sense. All right. Instinct or intellectual? Oh, you're going to put me on the fence again because either one without the other can get you in trouble. But if you're going to push me to one side or the other, I'm going to go with instinct. All right. Reading or listening? Oh, gosh, you've got me all here. I thought these were going to be easy, and you got me on the fence <laughs> on every one of them. I have been an avid reader all my life, but as I said at the beginning of this podcast, I don't think time with a book is what many people have time for anymore, and I am very grateful for the fact that I can listen to a book on audio, you know, I've picked up the hobby of woodworking lately and I love being out in my carport working on a, a project. And I've got these big Bose noise canceling headsets on to drown out the sander and the saw and all that. And I'm always mm -hmm. listening to podcasts or an audible book. And I love podcasts, but if I listen to them all the time, my knowledge would be what's the saying an inch deep and a, and a mile wide. Um, <laughs> Whereas an audio book, you know, a book is something that someone studied this material for years and years of their life. They put it into a book form and you can devour that knowledge in a few hours. And uh, I am a big believer that we are what we learn and we learn what we read. And so I don't, as long as you're devouring books, I don't care what form it's in. If you're a leader, you ought to be devouring one leadership book a month. It's funny you say that because that's my target. That's my target. Okay. Yep. Usually I get it. Uh, and I do, I, you know, I've, I've talked to, I coach a lot of people and, um, you know, a lot of them say how, and I say, look, you got to work smart. Just like you said, I'll have audio books and actually you can get technology so you can do the audio book and the reading and do both. If you wanted to do that, right. go forth. Correct. Uh, but I, you know, look, when I'm on a run or I'm doing, you know, I'm outside doing uh, yard work, I put the headset on and I'm listening to yep. a book. You can, you can rip through them pretty fast. Absolutely. Treadmill time, walking time, running time, you know, dog walks for me. I'm always listening to something. And by the way, if people, you know, I've got a list of leadership books that yeah, I just consider essential for people in that are in leadership roles and want to continue to stay in leadership roles. So, you know, they can, anybody can email me and I'm happy to send out my top list of 
It's 12 right now. I'd probably be 20 by the time somebody asks me for it. But I'm happy to send that out because I think that learning from the, the masters is really essential. Look, I love that. Uh, in fact, I want that. And we'll put it in the, if you don't mind, we'll just put it in the podcast notes. Be so, happy to do that. That's great. Uh, all right. So we got Coast, Instinct, and Reading so far? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. What's next? Got two more. Two more. Agile project management or traditional project management? That one's easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, gosh. Should I even say what I'm thinking? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to say clearly it's traditional project management. Honestly, I think agile came about because most people were too rushed and too lazy to do decent planning. And unless you've got a, a vision statement and a scope document and a Gantt chart, you don't have a project plan as far as I'm concerned. So if you can hand me the scope document and the Gantt chart, I'll believe that you really have a project. If you can't, you haven't entered the starting gate as far as I'm concerned. You know, that's a, little a very biased statement. <laughs> yeah, I'll own that that's a very biased statement. Sorry, a little a little friend of ours who you might know gave me that one and probably knew exactly how to get you <laughs> agitated. <laughs> all right, all right. Last one. Seven habits. We're talking books here, of course. Yeah, I for I, I, Seven I ha that. habits for speed of trust. Oh, Gosh, both. Oh, <laughs> I, you can't be no, on the I know. I got you, you, <laughs> These are tough choices. I would have to say seven, seven habits first because seven habits is it's essential reading for humans. I, I won't even say career professionals. It's just seven habits of highly effective people is one of the world's classics. Now, that's Stephen Covey Sr., and as you know, Speed of Trust is Stephen Covey Jr., who I worked for and who was, was one of my mentors in life. And he wrote that book about the time, the period of time of the merge when I actually worked for him. So mm -hmm. I have a passion for that book. And when it comes to character and competence, which are two things I believe in in leadership just completely, that's a lot of what Stephen Jr. in Speed of Trust is dealing with. But I think Seven Habits has got to be first. I have to admit to you, I've got to read Speed of Trust. I've read Seven Habits twice, uh, but now Speed of Trust is at the top of the list. I'll get it done. That's it. Thank you, All right. Lynn, for being My here. My pleasure, this, Al. Thank you. Just is what I thought it would be terrific. So thank you. Uh, you've helped out a lot of people. I know it because I've got a per personal experience here. So thank you so much. Uh, we'll get this out. My we'll pleasure. let you know when we post it. Any any last words? And then I'll I'll call it quits. This has been a treat. And I, I used to end my seminars with a PowerPoint slide that said, read, study, learn, or be left behind. <laughs> I'll end great. with that. All right. Thank you. And for you guys thank listening. Thank you, Thank you. For you guys listening, uh, I always appreciate it. Reach out to us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. 
I'll see you on the podcast. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.